Hello and welcome to the Veterinary Secrets Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Jones, and this is episode 43. For those of you guys who are new, welcome to my podcast. For those of you who are older subscribers, welcome back. I sort of took the summer off, spent some time traveling, visiting family, but now the kids are back in school and now I'm back. So welcome. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about how the lack of genetic diversity in Bulldogs is putting the breed at risk, explain what a very common veterinary condition called reverse sneezing is, discuss renal failure in cats and all the specific associated natural remedies, and lastly discuss the news about the bull killing vet with her potentially losing her veterinary life. Now Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes. You can go to iTunes and search Veterinary Secrets. We're also on Stitcher. Once again, you can download that Stitcher app, search for Veterinary Secrets. If you've yet to do so, I would definitely appreciate it. If you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, you can do so on iTunes or Stitcher. And lastly, if you've yet to do, I encourage you to get a copy of my free book and three free videos. They're at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash news. Now let's get right into today's podcast. The University UC Davis researchers say the lack of genetic diversity in English Bulldogs is concerning for the future of the breed. Wow. They can't fit through their mother's birth canals. They're plagued by serious respiratory problems because they have these pushed-in faces called brachycephalic. Unfortunately, they die at an average age of a little over eight years of age. What can we do? Well, in a recent study from the University of California, Davis, research examined the DNA of 102 registered English Bulldogs, predominantly from the United States, and 37 English Bulldogs seen at UC Davis for various health issues and found there is no going back to a healthier confirmation. This was quoted by one of the researchers said they were very taken aback by how little, little wiggle room still exists in the breed for making additional genetic changes. That was a lead researcher by the name of Niels Peterson. English Bulldogs are plagued by not only the syndrome called brachycephalic syndrome when they have these pushed in faces which has been bred into them for five centuries to create their characteristics smushed faces in addition english bulldogs are prone to flat chest blade legs legs are too wide a condition called cleft palate chondroitis dysplasia so it's a type of abnormal joint growth which can cause hip dysplasia so you guys are probably very common with also elbow dysplasia where the elbows don't form normally leading to arthritis and other joint and spinal problems they're also prone to dental disease, skin disease, heart disease, eye disease, and immune system problems. Peterson says that the breeders have been trying to alleviate the situation, but the DNA analysis shows that matching an English bulldog with another English bulldog is likely just to result in these same health problems. Possibly the only way to make them healthier is to introduce a different breed to bring in some genetic diversity. We definitely would question whether further attempts to physically diversify the English bulldog, for example, by rapidly introducing new coat colors, making the body smaller and more compact, or adding further wrinkles in the coat, are going to improve the already tenuous genetic diversity of the breed, Peterson says. Wow. Unfortunately, a sign or indicative of what can happen when we're starting to allow breeds and breeders to choose for specific things such as coat color, etc., etc., not really thinking about the big picture and looking at the whole issue of how that impacts with disease. So another real big merit for the importance of having genetic diversity, and I think a big caution for you guys. I really love them. I think they're a great dog as far as I love super friendly animals, English Bulldogs, but a big caution if you ever want to get one because you're really going to be expecting to have some big veterinary bills with a whole variety of uh, potential problems. Let's get on to the second part of the podcast and it was about reverse sneezing. So reverse sneezing is a disconcerting event in which a dog makes unpleasant respiratory sounds that sound like it's dying or it's going to die in the next few minutes. It, it sounds similar to this honking noise made by a dog when he's <clears throat> almost kind of coughing 
where his throat collapses in on, on himself, called tracheal collapse. For reverse sneezing, a very simpler condition doesn't need any treatment. It's the opposite. It sounds like sneeze, but it's as your dog is inhaling. And it's a really can be a really scary sound. Many owners will rush in to an emergency clinic. I mean, I've had more than a common call when I was in veterinary practice with someone on the phone saying, I think my dog is choking to death. But it's just, he's sneezing, but he's sneezing in reverse. The most common cause of reverse sneezing is there's an irritation in the upper part of their throat, the soft palate, that results in this spasm, this sneeze. During the spasm, your dog's neck will extend and their chest will expand as they try harder and harder to in inhale. It, it almost sounds like this. <laughs> it sounds like they're gasping for, for breath, but they're doing it through their nose because it's a, a sneeze. The problem here is that the, the main airway, the trachea, has narrowed, and it's hard to get the normal amount of air into the lungs. So anything that ir irritates the throat can cause the spasm and subsequent sneeze. Causes include excitement, eating or drinking, exercise, pulling on a leash, mite, um, anything that's irritating in the throat, foreign bodies, um, things that they're smelling, you know, perfumes, viruses, all these variety of chemicals that might be be in your house, any type of allergy. If an irritant in the house is the cause, I mean, sometimes just getting your dog outside is enough. I found with some other dogs sometimes, like any any sudden change, sometimes I found humidity can be really beneficial. So I just has, has suggested to owners, just get them into the bathroom and um, crank on that warm shower. If you've got a humidifier, get that on. For the most part, though, there's no form of treatment needed. Reverse sneezing itself rarely requires treatment. Typically, you know, it's going to stop within 30 to 60 seconds. Sometimes it's only 15 seconds. Um, sometimes you, you can just massage the base of your dog's throat, and that will stop the spasm. Um, some people have found this by covering the nostrils. And what that does, it makes your dog swallow. That's just enough to stop from stop from this sneezing or this reverse sneezing. But if the episode doesn't end quickly, sometimes what you can do is try just putting down a depressing your dog's tongue, which op opens up his mouth and aids in moving air through the nasal passages. So he's trying to get air in there, but he's not using his mouth. We want him to. Sometimes that's all you need. Ideally, if there's something that's going ongoing on a regular basis, you want to look at treating an underlying cause. Um, the one thing that I did try in veterinary practice, were, especially if I had these dogs that have many, many events of reverse sneezing, we look at an allergy as an underlying cause um, for some of these guys, especially if they had other signs of allergy going on. They might, might have considered something like an antihistamine. In some dogs, there's a type of a nasal mite that can trigger it. So some of these guys we actually did a trial with a thing called ivermectin. Um, it's an, an injectable antiparasitic drug. Some guys that worked. But for the most part, I would find it's just dog's habit. I don't worry about it too much. And they'd be examined clinically in most cases that they were fine in every other way. So it's not something, my point is something you need to worry a whole lot about. Let's get on to the third part of today's podcast. It's about kidney disease. What are some of the signs your dog or cat is drinking more water and urinating more often? Your pet may be losing weight, specifically loss of muscle mass as the kidneys lose protein. As kidney failure advances, your pet may become weak due to anemia. It may have, may have a decreased appetite to a buildup of toxins in his bloodstream. In advanced cases, he or she will be dehydrated and completely not eating off food. In some pets, kidney disease can cause elevated blood pressure, and that can also secondary affect their eyesight. They may go blind. So what's happening? Well, the kidneys are there filtering our and your pet's blood. They remove waste products from the blood, urea and creatinine, retain essential nutrients such as potassium, they maintain hydration by retaining water, 
They produce a hormone to stimulate red blood cell production called erythropoietin, and then they produce urine. Most cases of kidney failure are due to the kidney shutting down <clears throat> for no specific reason. That's called idiopathic. In other cases, the cause may be, may be due to a genetic disease. This can be found in Persian cat infections, a severe bacterial kidney disease. There's a whole variety of toxins. The one that comes to mind most commonly causing it is antifreeze. There are no signs of kidney failure until 70% of the kidneys are no longer functional. So the first thing, if your pet is showing some of these symptoms, they're drinking more or going to the bathroom more often, um, they need to be worked up properly. They need to see your veterinarian. You need to determine what actually is the cause of this. But once you know, then here are some basic principles. One, fluid. The most important thing you can do for your dog or cat with renal failure is maintaining adequate hydration, offering lots of fresh water. If, if you have a cat and you want to switch to canned food, you want as much moisture as possible. If you've got a dog, if you're still feeding kibble, you want to moisten that kibble. As much fluid as possible. Probiotics. There's a probiotic called Azadil that is used for the reduction of toxins that increase in kidney failure. It's also called azotemium, and this react and creatinine increase. So this specific probiotic, or Azadil, it metabolizes and flushes out uremic toxins in the bowel. And so they slow uremic toxin buildup in the blood, helping to prevent additional kidney damage. Um, it's one that I use often in dogs and cats in veterinary practice. The Azadil dose is one capsule per 10 pounds daily to a maximum of four capsules per day. So phosphorus reduction. This is kind of one of the, the big principles that, that I didn't really get in veterinary practice. I think it's really important you guys are getting it. Um, so in the early stages of kidney disease, the thing is, single biggest mineral, which is damaging the kidneys, is phosphorus. The mineral is speeding up destruction of the remaining kidney cells. Originally in veterinary practice, we were taught it was the protein. You got to minimize the protein. We diagnose these cats, for instance, at the ages of 12 or 13 with kidney kidney failure, which is very common. I would send your cat home on this really extra reduced restricted protein dry cat food. Where, what, what we know now, though, is that actually is not benefiting your cat. Benefit came from reducing the phosphorus in that diet. And the harm came from severely restricting the protein. We're affecting different parts of your cat. They need high levels of animal protein to not just thrive, just even to survive. And by restricting it, we're affecting the rest, think of all the rest of their muscle mass. First of all, those enzymes and all those cells throughout their body that require protein just to work properly. So if you can feed a diet lower in phosphorus, use phosphorus binders. That's ideal. And then you can look at specific phosphorus binders. There's one called ALOH or aluminum hydroxide. It helps to reduce phosphorus levels in dogs and cats with renal failure. It doesn't taste anything. There's no smell. I just want to mix it with food. The aluminum ALOH or aluminum hydroxide, aluminum hydroxide dose is a quarter of a teaspoon per 10 pounds daily. You can order it online at thrivingpets.com. You can also consider Tums. So specific is calcium carbonate. So what it's going to do are these Tums. It's also going to bind to that phosphorus, lowering phosphorus in your pet's diet. The Tom or calcium carbonate dose is a quarter of a quarter of a 650 milligram tablet for 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Then you really want to consider, lastly, one which I've discussed many many times in the past for different things. So many of our cats, they become nauseous with kidney disease and they stop eating. And that, this has, has this whole cascade of events. So if we can actually make them feel better, they're going to eat more, they're going to have such a better quality of life and so less likely to have, you know, to start to go downhill in a hurry. We just got to make them feel less nauseous. So a real easy thing, there's an overcount of the remedy. There's a medication called Pepsid. And the actual drug name is Famotidine. You can just get it over the counter. The typical dose is 0.25 milligram to 0.5 milligram per pound every 12 to 24 hours. So a common cat dose would be a quarter of a 10 milligram tablet given once daily. So lastly, I want to talk about this Kristen Lindsay 
Um, she was known as that bow-killing veterinarian. So she's been back in the news again. And she was facing some judges, and they're recommending suspension of her veterinary license. So administrative law judges have recommended license suspension for Kristen Lindsay DVM, the contro- controversial veterinarian at the center of the bow-killing case, according to court documents filed on August 15th. So this is about a month ago. Lindsay testified at the administrative hearing. In addition to a five-year suspension of her license, the judges recommend that four years of that suspension be fully probated with quarterly reporting, required CE in the areas of veterinary jurisprudence and animal welfare or other classes that the board deems fit. The judges are also recommending a community service requirement of at least 100 hours to be completed at a feline rescue, free spay-neuter clinic or similar facility. The judges found that the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners established that Lindsay did kill an own cat without the permission of the owner. Her conduct was reckless, and the defenses of which she used were called depredation and justification are unavailable. The judge's proposal for the decision reads, It also notes that Lindsay's actions were connected with the practice of veterinary medicine through a Facebook post, and therefore she may be sanctioned under appropriate board rules. The judges ruled that Lindsay's actions are mitigated by the fact that Tiger died instantaneously and did not suffer. Really? I'm sure they can determine that. Um, a lack of primary misconduct or crimes. She had a strong academic and work record prior to the incident. And split opinions among the veterinary profession in regard to the treatment of feral cat populations. Also led to the recommendation for suspension versus revocation of Lindsay's license. The decision states. So they're just suspending her for a period of time. They're not completely taking it away. This decision comes after Lindsay's motion for a partial new trial was denied in July. And from here, they're going to have an opportunity to fire response. Fire, uh, file a response to the judge's decision. The finalized decision will be presented in full to be as early as October 18th. So the case involving her began in April 2015, and it centered on that graphic photo that she posted on her Facebook account <clears throat> with a caption that read, uh, bragging about shooting a cat, my first bull kill, LOL, the post read, etc., etc. And then she also put in, the only good feral tomcat is one with an arrow through his head. That of the year award is gladly accepted. An Austin County grand jury didn't find sufficient evidence to charge her with criminal animal cruelty, but they, the Veterinary Association or Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners found her in violation of the Veterinary Practice Act and started the process to revoke her license. At least there's some justice coming there. Okay, so that concludes this episode or episode 43 of my podcast. Thank you guys. Thanks again for you guys for listening. And thanks again for those of you who are new and for those of you who have been sticking around waiting for a new podcast. I'm going to be getting back onto regular podcasts once again. So if you have yet to do so, I encourage you encourage you to subscribe. You can do so on iTunes or Twitcher. Uh, and the last thing, too, if you have any questions, concerns, when you can send me an email at podcast at veterinarysecrets.com. I'd love to hear you know your su- suggestions around you know specific show. What do what what you want to hear on the show? I mean, I'd love to hear it. Feel free to send me an email or you can comment. I'm going to post the same podcast. Each podcast is going to be put up on my blog. That's at the Internet Pet Bet. So once again, thanks for listening. I'm glad I'm back. I'm glad you guys are still here. I look forward to talking to you again next week. This is Dr. Jones.